we're going to be in John chapter 4, talking about the woman at the well. And we'll see how well you know this stuff. I want to ask a question. How do you picture heaven? Because I think a lot of people might think it's going to get boring. Like, you know, what do we do forever times forever? And how do you picture heaven? How about this? In Psalm 16, verse 11, speaking of heaven, in your presence, so speaking to the Lord, in your presence is fullness of joy. That tells me two things about heaven. Number one, it's going to be a blast. I've had a sprinkling of joy at best here on earth, but in heaven is fullness of joy. Sometimes, I don't know if we can even contain that here on earth. But also, God's presence is going to be there. So say you're having a party, and you get this crazy list, and you go, I'm going to invite God. And God shows up to your party. But in heaven, God's having a party, and he's inviting you. I know, go figure. He's having a wedding feast. It's going to be great. And he wants you there. Of course, you have to respond to his uh, invite. Now, in heaven, will anyone come up to you and say thanks? I, I mean it. Will, will someone come up to you and say, thank you for being salt in my light, in, in my life. Thank you be, for, for being light when I was in darkness. Thank you for sharing your testimony. Thank you for giving towards missions. Thank you for praying. Well, anyone, because to me, I want to hear that. I, I want to hear, wait, wait, I had a part in your coming to Christ. I had a part in you spending eternity in heaven. I want you to hear that. I want multitudes to come up to you and go, thank you. I know you didn't feel like it. I know you're going through a rough time, but you shared the good news, and I'm here thanks in part to you sharing that. So will anyone in heaven do that? Because this is why Jesus came to the earth. Uh, we're told this in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. See if this is what your translation says. To, he came to seek and to save that which was perfect. See, if your Bible says that, you got the wrong Bible. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. I was at the top of the list. You might have been at the top of the list. He came on purpose. I've been sharing, I've been praying about this one guy in Hollywood. I see him all the time. And I kept going, okay, Lord, how do I reach that guy? The other day he spoke to me on purpose, on purpose. So he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He wants us to do the same, to seek and to save that which was lost. So in Proverbs verse 20, or chapter 24, verse 11, it says this. Somebody's keys are up here. Uh, if you're looking for them, I'm assuming it's D's. Oh, it's Tyler's. Okay. Five bucks and you can get them back. But in, in Proverbs 24, it says this. Deliver those who are drawn toward death. And I love this, this um, illustration. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Now, here's a word picture. Here's a description of a true story of holding back. Because this is what God's instructing you to do. As a born-again Christian, as someone who's going to heaven and wants to bring others with you, he says, I want you to hold people back from going to hell. Okay, so I've used this illustration over the years, but it bears uh, to re re repetition here. This is the Clarence Wayne Dean Memorial Interchange. It goes back to, a, uh, it's in Northridge, California. There was an earthquake January 17th. This is my, my wife's mom's birthday. In 1994, so this is, uh, what, 28 years ago? 
It was 4.30 in the morning, pitch black. This tremendous earthquake of uh, 6.7 magnitude cost at that time more than 20 billion dollars in damage. Now, in today's standard, I would assume that's 40 billion. It's a lot of money. Untold damage is all over the place. Well, Officer Dean got on his motorcycle and, and went to the scene. So here's, or he was going to work to try and help. Here's a picture of a, of a highway there in Northridge that completely collapsed due to that, that earthquake. You can see it dropped 40 feet, just two sections. Now, motorcycle cop, Officer Dean, was going full speed ahead, total blackness everywhere, and flew 40 feet to his death. Not to be macabre, but here's his body. Here's his motorcycle. This is decades later, he's still dead. It was fatal. I consider him a hero. This is, the, this is the kind of policeman we salute because he was trying to help and just flying at a frantic pace on, unto his death. Now, this picture obviously was taken hours later because it's daylight. Do you ever see these guys up here? See those guys? They're way up. They're on top of the part that before it's collapsed. They're looking down the 40 feet. They're seeing his body. They're seeing the motorcycle. They're seeing the damage. They realize, man, what if I was here at 4.30? What if I saw the destruction, the certain destruction ahead? What if it was you? What if you're one of those people? Would you have held him back? Like Proverbs 24 says, would you have kind of been Pentecostal about it? Kind of been, stop, stop, because there's certain physical death ahead. But when you're sharing the gospel, we're talking about certain spiritual death ahead for all of eternity. Yeah, it seemed more pertinent at that time because it was imminent. And for us, we go, wow, we have time. We might have years or decades. We don't know. But the idea is hold them back because if they're on that course for the rest of their life, they will go to hell for all of eternity. So now we're going to turn to woman at the well. Begins with what is a Samaritan? Now I have to do this juggling act. Okay. Here we go. I'm reading from the New King James Bible. So John chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had made and baptized more disciples than John, that would be John the Baptist, Though Jesus himself didn't baptize, but his disciples did. Jesus left Judea and departed again to Galilee. So it's straight north. He needed to go through Samaria. So he, ca he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, which is near the plot of ground where Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Guys, we're going back to the book of Genesis. This happened... 4,000 years ago from now, at that time it was 2,000 years ago. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey. Now, some are shocked to find out that Jesus got tired. Jesus was all God, all man at the same time, and he got wearied. So he can relate to what we go through. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, uh, sat down by the well. It's about the sixth hour. So the hour would start 
first hour would be at sunrise. So this is about 12 noon, a hot time of the day. Then the woman of Samaria, or then the woman of Samaria, uh, I'm sorry, I, I skipped. A woman of Samaria came to drink, came to draw water by herself. That's curious. They usually go in packs. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. But his disciples, had, uh, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For notice this, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now here is a great little history lesson, okay? So, what's a Samaritan? What's the big deal? He, it says he needed to go through Samaria. So let's do a little map to help us visualize this. Here's a map of ancient Israel. And Jesus is down here in Jerusalem, all right, due south. He's needed to go up to Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, some 60-so miles north. And, but he had to go through Samaria to get there. And he ends up in this town called Sychar, Sychar. Uh, and, and you go, wait. He had to go there. See, many Jews had such bitter hatred for the Samaritans, they would literally go up, cross the Jordan River, go on the east side of Jordan River, go up to Galilee, and then cross over again. Just every, just to avoid the hatred, the hated Samaritans. So, this is what's interesting. Sikar, Sikar, however you pronounce it, is the ancient Shechem. And again, now you're going, oh, I've heard that one as I read the book of Genesis. What are some of the things that happened here in Shechem? Remember Abram, who became Abraham? It was, his name meant father, and God told him, we're going to call you father of nations. So when Abram left Ur of the Chaldeans and went all the way over to, to Israel, he ended up in Shechem, and he built a, an altar there. That's historical. This is the Abraham, the father of the faith. Two generations later, he had, remember, he had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. So Jacob builds another altar there two, or two generations later. Jacob built a well, and that's the one that's talked about here in John chapter 4. Again, we're going back 2,000 years to the time of Jesus, but they're going back 2,000 years to the time of Genesis. So... This is also one final thing, where Joshua, so now it's hundreds of years after Jacob, Joshua led the battle of Jericho, Joshua led the, the children of Israel into victory over the promised land, and it was Joshua 24, so at the end of the book of Joshua, he makes this charge. How long are you guys going to be playing around with who are you going to serve? Choose this day whom you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Now remember, we're going to come back to that in a bit. But the, all that happened here in Shechem, here in Sikar. Now, he says he needed to go there. He needed to speak to one sinful woman in order to win over an entire city. And it's a woman that no one else would have chosen. No one else would have even considered so the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, here's, a, here's a, a thumbnail sketch of what that means. We're going to go into history real quick. If this is your first time reading through the Old Testament, you might be going, wait, what's going on? I, I thought Hezekiah was king. Who's this king Ahab? And 
And uh, so let's, let's understand what's going on with the nation Israel and why there's such bitter hatred for the Samaritans. Here's, uh, here's a bigger map of that area. And, and uh, remember Jacob, well, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Each son became one of the 12 tribes. So he had tribe of Reuben and Levi and all those. 12 tribes made up the nation Israel. But by the fourth king, there was a division. So the first king was Saul, right? Kind of a kooky guy. Second king was David, who loved God with all his heart. David had an affair with Bathsheba. She got pregnant. That first child was, didn't live very long after birth. But after they were married, she, Bathsheba got pregnant again, and that child was Solomon. He became the third king. So we have Saul, David, now Solomon. And under Solomon, unbelievable growth and, and success everywhere. Solomon had Rehoboam. And under Rehoboam, when he took over, the kingdom split. So of the 12 tribes, 10 of them went north and became the northern kingdom, otherwise known as the kingdom of Israel. Two tribes, that would be Judah and Benjamin, they were the southern tribe, or the and southern kingdom, they were known as the tribe of Judah. I, I said a lot there, but... But that maybe it'll help you understand what's going on when you're reading through the Old Testament. So the northern kingdom had their own kings. The southern kingdom had their own kings. The northern kingdom, many kings, all of them lousy. Not one God-fearing king. They were all idolaters. So God says, I'm going to judge you. And he used the Assyrians to judge them. The Assyrians, remember their capital city of Nineveh? Jonah the prophet went there. They were feared like nothing. They were just crazy what they would do when, when they would attack a city. So God used the Assyrians to attack S Samaria. There's Assyria, and here's Samaria. He attacked it. He, they tried to then, so they attacked the northern kingdom. They tried to attack the southern kingdom of Judah. Do you remember the story? They sent 185,000 soldiers camped outside of Jerusalem wrote a letter to King Hezekiah and said, King, you're going down. They blasphemed God. They said, you're it's hopeless. King Hezekiah got with Isaiah the prophet, said, hey, we got to pray. And so King Hezekiah goes into the temple and it says he spread out the Lord or spread out the word and said, Lord, look at what they're saying about you. Help. And God goes, oh, 185,000 soldiers. I'll just send one angel. One angel. One night wipes out all 185,000 soldiers, which weakened Assyria greatly. And at that point, Babylon, or suddenly, or soon after that, Babylon arises as another world kingdom. All right? So here's Babylon, due east of, uh, of Jerusalem, about 300 miles. So Babylon is used to judge the, north, the southern kingdom. The thing about Babylon, when they would, when they would conquer someone, they'd hooey up all the leftover people, and at this point it's only like 10,000, and they'd bring them straight, just en masse, they'd bring them to their place of, of Babylon. So the Jews, there was only like 10,000 left, they, 
the Babylonians left the, the, the poorest of the poor. Prophet Jeremiah was one of them. And they, they, so the Jews were intact with their religion, their culture, their language. Everything was there, okay? But the Assyrians, when they attacked, you'll notice all those purple lines. The Assyrians mixed up their conquerors, those, those they conquered. So they said, okay, we're taking you from Samaria, and we're putting you in one of these four cities. We're also taking those people from those four cities and putting them in Samaria. We're just going to mix you guys up, put you on survival mode. And what happened is it, they, they um, started uh, compromising their walk. They started saying, oh, well, we believe things this way, but we'll adopt some of your beliefs if you adopt some of ours. And so what would happen is they became half-breeds, in quotes, meaning they intermarried, the Jews intermarried with non-Jews. It was a strict no-no in the Bible. You don't marry non-believers. They also, they um, only believed in the first five books of the Bible, the, the, you know, the Pentateuch, those who were written by Moses. And then they offered, years later, they offered Ezra to help rebuild the temple. Remember, after Babylonians, who are also known as Chaldeans? Do you ever get confused with that? C-H-A-L, Chaldean. So after 70 years of being in Babylon, they came back to Israel. And Ezra helped them rebuild the temple. Then Nehemiah helped them rebuild the wall around the city of Jerusalem. So the Samaritans offered Ezra, hey, we'd like to help you build your temple. And Ezra goes, nope, you're not pure. You're a compromiser. So the Samaritans never forgave the Jews. I know it's a lot of background, but it begins to make sense. And then this is what happened. The Jews felt the Samaritans were disgusting compromisers. The Jews actually, years later, burned down the Samaritans' temple. So more, more interaction there, more reasons to hate one another. So the term good Samaritan, when Jesus gave a parable and said good Samaritan, that's an oxymoron for the Jews. They're going, you can have a good Jew, you can have a bad Samaritan, there's no such thing as a good Samaritan. But of course, Jesus said it on purpose, trying to break through that prejudice that they had. So, we're back to now the living water. That was what a Samaritan is. That's the longest part of the sermon, okay? But I love the history. Okay, so we pick it up in, in uh, verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, because she just said, what are you doing talking to me? You guys hate me. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who uh, said to you, give me a drink, you'd ask him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. How are you going to get it? The living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Again, going back 2,000 years at that time. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and, and drank with it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of the water, this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So she's thinking, man, I want that stuff. 
So, living water. The Bible says, we're talking about holding back those going to hell. And the Bible says again in Proverbs, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 3, I love this one. He who is wise, she who is wise, wins souls. The flip side of that is the dodo doesn't know how to share. And I, I don't mean to be insulting, but to wake up. People who just don't know, they, they forget what spoke to you about Jesus. What first attracted you? What, what needs in your life were met? What, what, what spoke to your soul and, and just drew you like a magnet to Christ? The wise person knows how to do that. Knows how to, you know what? I think our backgrounds relate. I think our hurts relate. I think our rejection relates. I think our success relates, whatever it be. But the wise person, it's like, yeah, when I share, I like to have one, one ear towards the person and the other ear towards the Holy Spirit. Tell, tell me what to say. So how do you build a, a, a bridge? You know, he's not there to condemn this woman. She'd be, that'd be very easy to do. He's there to try and win her over. So he starts talking about water. There's a, a universal thirst for water. You go back to Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. There's this universal thirst that I don't care how successful I am, how poor I am, how broken I am. There's this thirst where I want reality. I want God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus said. So he, he's going to go, well, let's talk about thirst. And it, we'll see why he does this in a minute. He says, you know, there's living water. Wait, and she's going, well, this is new. I never heard of this one before. It's living water. It's a gift of God. And so she goes, well, give me that water. Meaning, make my life easy. You see, if someone shared with you and, and said, in essence, come to Jesus and you'll never have a problem again, that's bad theology. I mean, it's more like come to Jesus and you'll have a bullseye on your back for the enemy to attack. You know, but to, for, for some to say, I want to come to Jesus so I'll never have to work like this again. I'll never, I, I want to come to Jesus. I'll never worry again. So no, that's not, not it at all. So then he shares what we call a word of knowledge. A word of knowledge is certain data or facts about someone that you had no way of knowing apart from just the Holy Spirit revealing it to you. And this is the great, a great uh, example of that. So she goes, oh, beginning of verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And he said, go call your husband and come here. The woman said, I'm, I'm not married. I have no husband. And Jesus said, here's the word of knowledge. Uh, you've well said that I have no husband, for you have five husbands. You've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. Oh, you, in that, you spoke rightly. So it's interesting. <laughs> She's going, how in the world did he know that? So here's what's going on. A word of knowledge. He's saying, technically, woman, you're correct. You say, I don't have a husband. Some think she was flirting. Some think she's going, I'm available. What you doing tonight, big guy? You have to imagine saying that to Jesus. 
But she's going, well, I'm, I'm, I have no husband. She's not sharing the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God. She's not sharing that, well, by the way, I've been divorced five times. She's not sharing that I'm greatly attracted to the opposite sex. I'm just batting zero for five tries. And it's interesting. He said, well, you know, he saw right through her. The Bible describes Jesus as having eyes as the flame of, a, of fire. He sees right through me. He sees through my pain. He sees through my, my facades, my walls. He sees through my motives. He sees the real me. And so it's interesting. I think a lot of people would have hassled her at this point. Would have just yelled at her. Come on, woman, I'm dealing with reality. And, and you know what? You would have lost her. Jesus is focused. He's trying to reach her heart. And to get caught up in a little silly rabbit trail of an argument, you'd lose her. It would backfire. So he doesn't hassle her. Instead, he's going, she has this undeniable thirst. Just looking for it in the wrong places. So then you think, all right, sex. Is he saying that all sex is wrong? It's funny because there's an old adage that says, sex is like wallpaper or like flypaper. You think you got to have it and then you get stuck and you can't get away. And, and so if a church only emphasizes that, I'd hate to think that, oh, you're, you're, you grow up thinking sex is bad. You know, and just, uh, it, it's, <laughs> and then it permeates into your marriage. Oh, sex is bad. When you think about it, and I'm going to keep it clean, when you think about it, the whole thing was God's idea. The whole thing. You're, the difference between male and female, the anatomy, the passion, the hormones, the excitement, the, 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 the pleasure. It's God's idea. Don't you ever think of that? And God's like saying on your wedding night, go for it. Have a blast. Because Hebrews says, the marriage bed is undefiled. That means it's clean. Finally. But it goes on to say in Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 4. Marriage bed is undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. If that's you this morning, time to get right. You don't want to be judged by God. So the whole thing is God's idea. It's wonderful when it's in the confines of marriage, when it's between husband and wife. So now it's worship in spirit and in truth. And you go, man, what does that mean? I've heard that forever. All right. So we begin in verse 19. The woman said to him, sir, <laughs> I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> he just told her everything she did. You must be a prophet. You're a genius, you know, woman. Sir, I, per I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem it is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you'll neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, but in Haleiwa, Hawaii, worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. Remember, they only limited it to the first five books of the Bible. You worship what you don't know. We know what we worship for salvations of the Jews, meaning it started with Abraham, the father of the Jews. Through him, the world would be blessed. So 
then he says in, in verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God's spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. She's getting bottom line here. The Messiah who's called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So I love this. So he's saying, worship in spirit and in truth. She begins when he says, listen, you're not married. Yeah, technically you're correct, but let's, let's face it. You're over five in relationships. And today you're living in sexual sin. Then he goes, she goes, wow, I think you're a prophet. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But then she goes, uh, can I, this is, this is what I'm reading into it. Can I trust you with my heart? Because, yeah, I'm, I'm 0 for 5. I'm greatly attracted to the opposite sex. I was even flirting with you, Jesus. I'm not married. But can, you know what? Can I ask you questions that nobody in this town will listen to me? No, they all think they know me like some slut. They think I'm just this easy girl who jumps in the bed with anybody, and no one takes me seriously. They don't think I have a spiritual bone in my body. Would you treat me differently, or are you just going to blow me off like everybody else? Can I trust you? Would you, would you deal with my heart? Because on earth, I'm known as a party animal. On earth, I'm known as a cheat. On earth, I'm known as this. But I'm not known as some spiritual person. Can I trust you with this part of my heart? Listen, you just say you're supposed to worship on that mountain, Mount, Mount Moriah, Mount Zion. We say up here in Mount um, Gerizim. Now, when Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land, Moses had instructed him, you go on these two mounts. On one mount, you pronounce the blessing, and then there's this valley, and on the other mount, you pronounce the curse and let the Jews choose who they're going to follow. She's on the right mountain. She's got, we're on Gerizim. We're part of the blessing. So I can prove scripturally this is where you're supposed to be. And he goes, no, 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 it's not like that. It's not where, it's who. And it's more than just who, it's how. So he gets into how do I worship in spirit and in truth? I mean, Jerry, come on. You've sung every song we've sang this morning. You've sung dozens of times. How do you make it real? Uh, at what point do you, are you like in, in Proverbs 5? He goes, I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly. It was a church. Everybody's sitting there looking so spiritual and holy and hands raised up. And I'm thinking lustful thoughts. I'm thinking of, you know, lying, cheating, stealing. What's going on? How can I, how can I worship in spirit and truth when I'm being bombarded with temptation? Well, welcome to reality. Spirit and truth. How do I do that? You keep it real. How about this one? Jesus said, leave your gift at the altar. So this is a picture of someone who brings a gift, a sacrifice, a tithe, giving, whatever. And as you're presenting the gift to the Lord, you remember, not someone you have something against, someone who has something against you. 
Jesus said, you want to worship in spirit and truth? Now, we're reading into this. Leave the gift. You want to impress me? Work it out in relationships. Then come back and offer the gift. That's worshiping in spirit and in truth. So as I come to the Lord, even in song or right during the sermon, and all of a sudden the spirit hits me with something, hey, you haven't addressed that. You left that hanging. You got to go back. I need to work that out and then come back. And that's worshiping in spirit and in truth. We're talking about Joshua, who in Joshua 24, they conquered the land. And Joshua's going, okay, guys, I don't know why you're vacillating between this God and that God. And Choose this day whom you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I know all the people go, yeah, we are too, we are too. Did you ever read the rest of Joshua 24? It's wild. Joshua goes, you can't serve the Lord. Holy what? What kind of a sermon is this? You gave this great pitch and we're responding and instead you're going, you can't do it. He said, you can't serve the Lord. Did I miss something in the sermon? What are you talking about? He said, you can incline your heart. Be truthful. Incline your heart. Because he's saying, if you go, oh, yes, I'm going to stand for the Lord for the rest of my life. He says, you know reality's out there. You know temptation's out there. You know the righteous man falls seven times, but gets back up. You know you're going to fall eventually. But you can incline your heart to the Lord. This morning, maybe you came in here feeling as spiritual as a two-by-four. You can incline your heart. I like in, Hebrew, in uh, Philippians 2, it says, you know, God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's not just up to you. It's up to you responding to him. So this morning, incline your heart to serve the Lord. Now, what's interesting, Jesus said, God's looking for such people. What? Yes, even the Samaritan woman, which brings us to the when she answers, you know, well, okay, look. He's really bringing her to a decision point, too. Well, I know when the Messiah comes, I'm going to change. That guy's going to tell us everything. I'm going to change then. And so Jesus answered, he goes, well, here I am. How, what a trip that would be. You're talking to a guy at a well, and all of a sudden he goes, I'm God in the flesh. What? Here I am. So he's saying, it's time to decide. Here's the reasoning behind it. It's as if he's saying, woman, you've been saying that your whole life. After your second, third, fourth marriage, you kept going, yeah, when Jesus comes, I'm going to change. You watch. I'm going to change. He goes, you've been saying that forever. But now I'm here. And what are you going to do? So at that point, she leaves. But she does something great. So we pick it up in uh, verse 27. And at this point, his disciples came. Remember, they had gone to town to buy some food. And they marveled that Jesus was speaking with a woman. You're just not supposed to do that, especially a Samaritan woman. And yet no one said, what are you doing? What are you doing talking to her? The woman then left her water pot, went into the city, and said to the men, it's interesting, she comes to the water thing alone. No women, no gossip. And then she addresses the men in the city, not the women. I think she was a bit of an outcast. And she said, come and see a man who told me all the things I ever did. 
Could this be the Christ? So she invites them. Then they went out of the city and came to him. And in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. I'm sorry. Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food you don't know about. Therefore his disciples said to one another, okay, so who brought food? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there's still four months and then comes there your eyes, you know, then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, open up, look at the fields, for they're already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he and, and he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this thing, in this the saying is true, one sows and another weeps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you've entered into their, their labor. So what's happening here? The woman goes off. <laughs> the disciples are shocked. Have you ever seen this? The disciples had to pass this woman, perhaps twice, or on the way to town. They're going into town to buy food. She's coming out by herself. I just picture them going, okay, off the, off the part, path. We're just away from that unclean woman. They saw her in the flesh. They're only thinking, as a guy thinks with his tummy, we're buying food. That's all we're doing right now. We're doing nothing spiritual. We're not here to reach the Samaritans. We hate them. We're just here to buy food. Get out of the way of this woman. And then she goes and starts talking to Jesus. So then... Her witness, she starts witnessing to the guys in town, and all she does is tell them what Jesus did in her life. So many people, what do I do for my witness? How do I share? Is Jesus real to you? Has he done something in your heart? Has he answered prayer? Has he forgiven you? Just share that. That's all she did. This woman is saved five minutes, not even that. And she's already sharing with people. She had an encounter with Christ, and already she's sharing with people just about what Jesus did for her. And then she invites them. Why don't you come with me and hear them for yourself? So then they're thinking, woman, if Jesus can help you, man, he can do a lot for me. So at this point, Jesus turns it into a workers needed kind of thing. This is where Fulton got his input this morning, just workers needed. Said so they're going, hey, Jesus, you need to eat. He goes, I have food you don't even know about. Really, what, what is that? And then he goes, I want to finish my father's work. So on the cross, he said, it is finished. But then he says to the guys, lift up your eyes. There are souls ready. Don't give me that. Well, you know, we're going to do this for four months. And then we're going to have an outreach. And we... Guys, there's opportunities every. You just passed all kinds of You just went to a town full of opportunities. So what he's doing is Jesus is about to show them how they missed opportunities. That's why he's saying, open your eyes. You're only on this physical level. I'm hungry. Don't talk to me. And he's, did you see that woman pass by? Did you see those guys in the town? How hungry, how empty, how thirsty they are. And you walked right by. You're only thinking about, I got to eat lunch. So then we, we end with this section, beginning in verse 39. 
Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in Jesus because of the word of the woman who testified. Pretty convincing. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. That's against all prejudice and all that. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Okay, very quickly in this, two points. Yes, woman, you got me started. And they could go up to her in heaven and say, thank you. Because of you, I was pointed to Jesus Christ. But then they learned to grow closer on their own. You got me started. But as, as 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's always in that order. Grace and then the knowledge. So here's your application. You ready? Am I thirsty? Does it show? I mean, when Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, then that's still, isn't that still present tense? Do I still want more of him? How about you ever go back for more? I, yeah, I pity the person. Yeah, I did that 10 years ago. What did you do this morning? You, you didn't go to the well? You didn't go for new mercies? How about this one? Do others see me? Oh, this is convicting. You might want to duck. Do they look at me and say, that guy's full of living water? Or do they say he's full of something else? He's full of self. There's no room for the Spirit of God because he's so full of self. And he, he's saying, hey, you know what? You can have what I have. I drank of the living water. You can drink, drink of the living water. You can be a magnet for Jesus Christ. You could be a billboard sign that attracts others to Christ saying, you can have what I have. I am full of living water. The stuff down here on earth doesn't satisfy, but the living water does. How about this one? Revival can start when I'm feeling tired. Remember, Jesus, this whole started, man, he'd walked a long time. It's 12 noon, sun's out. Boys, go get some bologna sandwiches, whatever. How did we ever eat those things? Just, uh, just you have mayonnaise on them, just whatever. Just sorry to put that in your brain. Just go get some lunch. I'm just gonna sit here. I'm, I'm waste. And this girl comes out to me. This woman comes out to me. But it's interesting when I'm like that. Maybe when you're like that, I'm full of excuses. I don't want to share right now. I gotta eat. I don't want. I need a nap. How inconvenient. Jesus takes the boys on a vacation. Remember this? John the Baptist has just been beheaded. He says, let's get out of here. Let's go to a... And he goes over, and there's thousands of people waiting for him. He doesn't say, turn around. He says, let's go minister. See, I, it can happen even when I'm feeling tired. But here's what the deal is. Spontaneous sharing, and that's really what we're talking about. Where we're open, be ready to share in season and out. Ready to give a hope for... That, that, or give an answer for the hope that lies within you. So it, it uh, unfortunately, I don't know how they get these stats, but spontaneous sharing about Jesus usually only takes place the first two years after salvation. Most Christians never share. Even more Christians 
never leads someone to Jesus Christ. Never brings them to that point of repentance, of surrender, of praying, Lord, take me. Now, what opportunities might we be missing? Do you ever think of it? When Jesus said, look, look out, guys. Look at the field. They're white. Don't give me this timing thing. Right now, there are needs everywhere. So how about, look at it this way. If I told you, say I'm, a, I'm an investor, which I'm not, but I, 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 as a financial expert, I say, listen, if you invested in this one stock, you'll make millions of dollars. Wouldn't I have your attention? Jesus is saying, if you would invest in this one soul, you'll win over an entire city. If you invest in Nicodemus, who's afraid and he comes to you at night, you'll win over tens of thousands. If, if you invest in this woman that no one else will talk to about spiritual things, you'll win over an entire city. If I said if you invest this, you'll, you'll get millions of dollars, I got your interest. But we need to see the Samaritan woman amongst us. Because Haliva has that. And we need to see, Lord, you're putting this on my heart to win her over to Jesus Christ. What about missed opportunities? How about abortion? I mean, it's a hot, hot thing right now. It's not over. They say, oh, okay, the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. The reason I bring it up is you're facing a community that has questions. They want to get into a fight. I don't want to. I want to get into truth. Remember, Jesus could have said, you're not, you're not dealing truth with me. You're just married five times. He just talked about thirst. And that went that way. So when it comes to uh, when is the fetus a person, I'm a Bible believer. That's really what it comes down to. The whole issue right now, and all big names who are saying, they're believing that fetus is not a person, so therefore you can destroy it. It becomes a person when it gets a soul. I say the soul happens at conception. You're saying it happens on the 29th day after birth? You know about the new, they're trying to push the law in California that you can kill a child 28 days old if it passes. I don't know how you do that. Mom, do you, do you nurse the child for 28 days and all of a sudden, I don't want this. I can't, I can't fathom. And how, how, how do you kill a 28-day-old baby? But the whole argument is, when is that fetus a person? When does it have a soul? So in Psalm 139, here's some scriptures to answer. Don't get in an argument. But you can be passionate you can share what the Bible says. It's not my opinion. I want to share God's opinion. So in Psalm 139, verses 13 and 16, King David wrote, For God, you formed my inward parts. You covered me when? When I was still in my mother's womb. Then he goes on. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. It's not like, oh, I'm 28 days old. Okay, now it's a person. Now you, you were at work in the womb. That's what the Bible teaches goes on. In your book, they were all written. Look at this. The days fashioned for me. When as yet there were none of them. Meaning, God, you had a purpose and a plan for my life before I was born. 
to abort ruins that. Now, is there forgiveness for people who had, uh, had aborted? Of course. My wife's going to be doing something this week uh, to share on TV about coming right out of high school, having an abortion, not realizing it was a person. Is there forgiveness? Of course. Is there new life? Of course. But these verses, you can share them with people according to God's word. What's happening in the womb is God at work. We don't want to get in the way. There's one more. It's in uh, Je uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. So when Jeremiah is being called as a teenager, God says, you know, before I formed you in the womb, wait, what does that say? God, you formed me in the womb? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. God was at work. God had a plan. Don't get in the way. So there are people in Haleiwa, on the North Shore, in Milan, they had questions. Where do you stand on abortion? I quote the Bible. It's not my opinion. I want to share God's opinion. So here's the deal. Are you thirsty? You know, she said, well, as soon as that happens, I'm going to change. I think some people in here have said that. I know I'm a drunk. I know I do too much of this. But as soon as Jesus said, I'm going to change. Well, Jesus is basically saying, here I am. Here I am. No more excuses. It's time for that surrender. It's time to say, okay, Lord, whatever you got. I'm not going to offer excuses anymore. I'm offering my body as a living sacrifice. I would hate to do a funeral. I've done a, uh, a number of funerals. The saddest funeral is for the person who didn't fulfill his calling in life. Just ignored God's calling. You know, some of us were talking about Colossians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul's writing this letter to the church of Colossae, and he goes, hey, tell Archippus, wake up, basically. Tell him to take heed to the gift given to him by God that you may fulfill it. How many of us need to hear that? Like, wait, I'm here for more than eating lunch. I'm here to fulfill God's purpose for my life. And part of that is holding back other people who are determined to go off that cliff. Let's pray.